Good morning. All right, good morning. Uh, okay, so listening to that guy, uh, you know the who's the the, the Pakistani or uh, it's I don't know his actual um, ethnicity, I guess, but the uh, uh, guy on Silicon Valley on HBO. Yes, he sounds exactly like him, doesn't he? Maybe not. Okay, never mind. So I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, man, I'm having trip. Yeah. Uh, so like last time, I don't really have much to add to this video. Uh, I wasn't trained in biblical scholarship or any, uh, I was more trained as a not very amateur novice theologian. So, um, but I was really struck and distracted at the beginning of the video when um, he says something like this, that uh, religious words like gospel lose their meaning. Did you catch that? It was kind of like at the very beginning. I'm curious, why might that be the case? Well, a lot of reasons. Uh, I guess one of them is the people that use the word. So I, you know, I think presently the word evangelical is one that it, it kind of loses its meaning, and its meaning derives from good news, you know, and uh, just who holds those words and how they use them. And you know, it's one thing to say something and back it up for what the word means, but to use it and it not carry that. So, I mean, we, words in general, you know, there's plenty of examples of words that have changed their meanings throughout the centuries just because of how they get misused and misappropriated. Mm-hmm. Gospel is one of those. Mm-hmm. I think it's similar to uh, how the word probably love is overused to the extent that probably, I can't even make up a number here, but a, a vast majority of the time, the word that, the time that instances that word is used, it, it's not used correctly to mean what that word actually means, and so it's just that sort of thing, the overuse of a word or putting it on, a, a, making it a certain label, hmm. um, slowly morphs it into something that it, it wasn't originally. Mm. So I guess the first answer is like, well, the way uh, what I heard Kyle say was, okay, it's, uh, some of the, you know, evangelical good news, it's kind of lost its meaning in our culture today due to various people or interpretations of how that word has been misappropriated and for and what you just said was um you know they it's kind of overused it becomes kind of trite it, and it's it's like oh i've heard the sermon for i think my preaching professor said something like this like you only have taught you as in the preachers preaching students you only have very few messages from the bible Right? You only have very few things to say, and you have to keep on saying them in a way that everyone can hear them afresh. Right? Uh, you don't have much to say. And, uh, and so the danger is how trite uh, things can sound, and they kind of lose their meaning over time. Uh, anyone else have a suggestion? Well, um, I, I guess what I want to begin, uh, I wanted to begin just probe, uh, probing your thoughts on that and kind of explore even further whether or not we have good news, good news to share at all. And I will conclude, obviously, believe, uh, saying that we do have good news to share. Uh, uh, if you want to figure out who that is, then you only need to look at Jesus Christ, right? Um, but um, let me just kind of dive into it. So, do we have good news to share? So, how many of you grew up in Churches of Christ? 
How many of you grew up at door-knocking Churches of Christ? Oh, yeah, true believers. Uh, so uh, every summer, uh, our evangel evangelism minister, actual title, evangelism minister, uh, would take a group of young people to uh, Lucy, Jamaica for a week-long mission trip. In fact, we partnered with Bartlett Woods one summer, uh, and I met some of the people that our uh, creative director here, Kevin Woods, knows now, um, or uh, uh, goes to church with now. So uh, we went... Uh, we would partner, and a typical day in uh, Lucy, Jamaica would begin with a 45-minute drive in almost insane traffic. There's, no, there's literally no rules in Jamaica. I'm pretty sure we almost died about 8,000 times. Uh, and we would go to the church. We would spend time going to the infirm infirmary, and that was a holy experience uh, to be sure. We would host, go to schools, host a VBS, and then uh, and play soccer with the kids. And then we would spend the hottest part of the day door knocking. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, so if you've ever been door knocking, what you end up doing is you're kind of like a Mormon. You go up to someone's house, you knock. If they answer, you say, hi, my name, you say, hi, my name's Michael. This is my friend Bobby. And we want, we just want to ask you a couple questions. All right. <laughs> Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? No. I don't. Oh, well, then do, did you know that your soul was doomed forever, <laughs> right? Like, you're going to hell, and we would love for you to know uh, how to not go to hell. And so, actually, the first time I, uh, I was in middle school, eighth grade, was with my youth intern door knocking. First time I saw a mother uh, feed her child, the natural way was through a door knocking experience. So you have my intern, like, trying to tell this lady about the seven-step plan of salvation or whatever, and she just decides to feed her kid right then and there, and I, it was, I didn't know how to make sense of that as an eighth grader. I can now. I'm pretty sure I'm good now. Uh, so, okay, I'm not a marketing or public relations person, but it seems like door knocking door knocking did not work for us for a variety of reasons uh and you know i you know i we have good news to share but i don't think the best way to spread good news is to say hey if you don't accept jesus christ as your lord you're doomed forever like, like that doesn't seem like you're gonna get any followers unless you just want to you know transform them by fear uh, and so when I think about that, and I think about people who are outsiders of the faith, people who are non-believers, uh, who don't know anything about Christianity, or what they do know about Christianity are from the loudest voices in our culture, right? Uh, you've all heard of Westboro Baptist Church, right? So whatever you think about, uh, you know, the pride parades or whatever, it's probably not the best way to say, hey, we think you're not living the way God wants you to by saying God hates you, right? Like, that's probably not the best way to say that. Uh, you know, and what's it communicating to our soldiers when they try to demonstrate at soldier, uh, soldiers' funerals? Um, you know, if that was your only reference for Christian thought, uh, I would think that you would probably say that our good news isn't really good news at all, right? Um, so, okay, this is very, we'll see if this works. Uh, so, in the 19th century, 
there was this German philosopher named Friedrich Nietzsche. Have you raise your hand if you know who this guy is? Okay, great. Uh, it, some people call him Nietzsche, but I heard I, I was Ubering a German guy the other day, and I told him what I was going to talk about this Sunday, and he said, and I asked him to pronounce the right way to pronounce his name. He said Nietzsche, so boom. Um, <laughs> and so, okay, so some people consider Nietzsche the greatest philosopher and critic of religious thought, and uh, specifically Christianity. And while I don't know if I would go so far to say he's the greatest, I do think he has some things to say. Um, for Nietzsche, Christianity is nothing short but of uh, bad news. Nietzsche wrote uh, various criticisms of Christian faith during a time uh, in Europe where the abandonment of Christian belief uh, was, uh, was to be welcomed with open arms. And in Nietzsche's mind, Christianity produced a humanity that was fundamentally ashamed of itself. Christianity produces a humanity that was fundamentally ashamed of itself. And this, uh, this shame that was preached from the pulpit and instilled in, our, you know, in a person's formation uh, made human beings at, in the 19th century not only unhappy, but very dangerous. Uh, because by teaching us self-hatred, it disposed us to hateful actions towards other people. Well, so, for example, uh, one message that you might get in the 19th century pulpit is that the world is full of sin, iniquity, and transgression. Our world is ugly, right? And Nietzsche would say, well, that's, that's my point. You hate the world so much uh, that you have, this, you have this sort of weird resolve to try to... Uh, of seeing the world as ugly and bad, and you end up making the world that you live in ugly and bad. Um, you know, our obsession with sins that occur below the belt has brewed in us a hatred of the physical in general, and of human and of, and of just material, material physicality, bodies more generally. Uh, for Nietzsche. Uh, we, de we develop this hate of our natural instinct, our natural drive, our, uh, and above all, uh, Nietzsche could not understand why we hated sex so much. Uh, and so what makes Christianity evil is that the very foundations of what it means to be a human being, someone with not only a, a mind but with feelings and desires, uh, what it mean, uh, is, is thrown in this detrimental light. And Christianity then is fundamentally anti-human. Uh, so here's a passage uh, from Nietzsche's uh, book, The Gay Science. I don't know why he named it The Gay Science, or so let's just go move on from that. But uh, this is what he wrote. Uh, People like St. Paul have an evil eye for the passions. All they know of the passions is what is dirty, disfiguring, and heartbreaking. Hence their idealistic tendency and aims at the annihilation of the passions. And they find perfect purity in the divine. For Nietzsche, Christianity is fundamentally anti-human.
Christians have this unhealthy determination, this weird obsession with seeing the world as ugly and bad, and which makes the world ugly and bad. Uh, it, you know, it, it teaches us to hate ourselves by fully denying the very things and desires and passions that make us human in the first place. So for him, Christianity doesn't have any good news to have. So for, I'm going to pause for a second. Just, I'm curious, what do you think about his thought as it relates today? Does he have a point? I think that's a, a, a point of view that continues to today, certainly. Mm. Um, we are, I don't know if it's any different, it's clearly not different than it's ever been, but I feel like we live in a society where um, we are constantly told that it's okay to be whatever it is you want to be and feel whatever it is you want to feel and pursue whatever it is that you want to pursue um, with, with really kind of limited boundaries. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, clearly the, the kind of the belief system we have, at least certainly a morality system that we tend to have, does fly in the face of a pursue your own happiness at all costs. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, would, I would say that I see a kind of Nietzsche worldview every time I pick someone up for Uber at 1 a.m. in the morning, you know. Uh, I'll share a story in a second. It's really sad. But, um, yeah, I think that's, that's right. I think his view, although people aren't saying, aren't reading him, or at least most people at parts aren't reading him, you know. Uh, but, you know, you kind of see that lived out in the full. And it doesn't seem to me that they're any happier than we are, you know. Uh, and I'm not trying to make this dichotomy between us and them. It's just kind of like, you know, I think one way you can say Nietzsche thinks that Christianity, since it's anti-human, does not produce human flourishing or happiness, right? Um, although I do think there's a degree of truth in what he said. You know, for example, I do think when I was growing up in youth group, and again, this is just my experience, it might not be yours, uh, there was, we would have, I would go to church camp, there would always be a night at church camp where we would have the talk, right? And we would have, we would split up into girls and guys, and it was just, you know, we don't, we didn't know how, the, to be fair to the leaders, they don't know how to talk about the talk, right? But um, I think though, the failure in that was um, this overemphasis of sexual sin, uh, not because um, it's wrong, but because but not clarifying the goodness of what sex is about ends up um, uh, like leaving an impression that I don't think we intended to uh, leave. So I I have a lot of friends who are married, uh, and I have talked to more than one couple who has told me. Uh, we would have on, we, we're at a point where we can have honest and frank conversations and more than one uh, couple has told me their experience after their first wedding night and you know what they felt after their first honeymoon night shame and guilt um, where did that go come from they're doing the very thing that they're allowed to do now right like I think part of it comes from this idea of um, not being able to teach sexual ethics rightly. 
But so that's where I think I would maybe uh, agree with uh, Nietzsche just a little bit. Nietzsche a little bit. So, but okay. So if his claim is that Christianity is fundamentally anti-human, uh, how would we how would we go about trying to change this dude's mind? Uh, let's say he's alive today. We're at the Starbucks on Houston Levy Road, and we're going to try to combat his thought. Not combat his thought. We're going to try to bring him to Jesus, right? Um, what would you say? Well, I'll probably begin by telling him a story. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm Uber. I'm a professional Uber driver now. And one thing I would say on behalf of all Uber drivers is that you better tip your Uber driver. Um, because, man, I drove someone. Okay, I'm not going to go with that. Okay, I will. So, 40-minute drive. I pick someone up from the airport. No tip. What's up with that? Okay, that's my complaint. It made me feel better. I was cathartic. Um, so, so late last night, I was driving Uber. I was, and I picked up a senior in high school who was clearly drunk. Uh, and uh, I want, and he's called an Uber home, right? So that's good. He doesn't. He's not going to be on the road. Uh, but. Uh, and, and what was interesting was he repeated various times he was not going to vomit all over my seat, and it made me so worried. Uh, you know, he was like, don't worry, dude, I got this. I'm not vomiting at all. You're keeping me awake and sober. I was like, I'm, how am I keeping you sober? Like, uh, <laughs> so anyway, the student lives 25 minutes away from where I picked him up, and so typically uh, my approach to Uber has been trying to be the uh, a pastor and just like trying to ask them really good questions if they're receptive to that uh, you know uh, but my mode of pastoring in this sense will not be hey do you know who Jesus Christ is because that's just gonna destroy any sort of conversation and give me a bad rating but uh, <laughs> uh, 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 but my mode of pastoring is tr just to try and deeply listen and so I just asked, started asking him questions about himself, about his family, where he's going to go to college next year. And somehow from those questions I asked, he ended up telling me about a girl he slept with two weeks ago uh, and uh, how angry he was about it, how disgusted he was that he did this thing uh, and how he didn't remember how it even happened. And so after he was done kind of ranting about this particular transaction, I just asked him, do you feel guilty? And, he, and in, this like, in his inebriated state, he had this sobering moment of clarity and said, I feel ashamed. And then we ended up talking about something else. Uh, and I, that, that actually kept me up a lot. I'm really tired right now. It kept me up a lot because I couldn't, because I don't think he's going to remember that conversation. But uh, that kid needed good news, you know. Uh, so, okay, Nietzsche, Nietzsche would say that the shame that that boy felt uh, is based on your teaching, right? And I would say no. It's not based on that. Has that shame has nowhere is nothing nowhere close to the gospel. You know, um, you know. As much as Christians have messed up in producing producing a shame culture, shame has nothing to do with the 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 actual person of who is good news, right? You know, and I would say to him that what that boy was feeling 
was a misappropriation of the right feeling he uh, had probably uh, initially after realizing what he did. Guilt, right? And his guilt morphed into shame, right? Um, Guilt is something I think that's natural for us to experience, but shame is something that we should never feel, right? Um, shame is contrary to what we should experience. And I, said, and I would probably tell Nisha, you see, the reason why that boy felt guilty uh, wasn't because God wanted us to feel bad for the natural desires we have in us, especially at that age, but rather the guilt derives from the boy sharing his soul with someone he has no intention to love for the rest of his life, right? He conjoined his soul to someone in a permanent way that can never be taken back. Uh, and she did as well. Uh, and that's why Christians believe in this thing called marriage. Because marriage is the place where we imitate the most intimate form of love uh, uh, of God with this lifelong covenant. And, well, so... Um, well, why, Nietzsche might ask, well, why, why do we have to feel guilty in the first place, you know? When did all, all that begin? And so maybe then I would tell a bigger story. You know, I would say, well, you know, in the beginning there was God, right? And uh, there was never a time when God did not exist. It turns out that this God is a creator. You could say he's this uncreated creator. And... Um, uh, and so, as this uncreated creator, God made all things, or as one uh, amazing theologian said, he is the first cause of everything, right? And, and, and the Gospel of John uh, would say that, you know, to channel his words, everything came into existence through this word, this being, who is the epitome of love and goodness and wisdom and justice and all the good attributes that we have this inkling of understanding today, God was always there and everything came through that. Um, and nothing would come, in, nothing, we would not be here today without the word speaking or however God made, this, made us, we would not be here today through it. So through that word, Nietzsche, we have life. And uh, as the creation story goes, uh, this word, this God, made human beings. God made human beings in his own image uh, in order for human beings to be like him. And so this, mean that, this means that our humanity has this intrinsic quality of goodness about, about them. Uh, that is, that we were fundamentally made out of this goodness of God, right? We're not fundamentally evil, terrible people, as you think we are. We are made from intrinsic goodness. Uh, however, the first humans messed up. Uh, you know, okay, what was the sin of Adam and Eve? There's different ways to describe it, I guess. Yeah. Uh huh. That would be one way to say it. They That's good. View themselves as equal to God, or they desire to be equal in knowledge. Yeah, know? yeah. I think that's a. Yeah. Anyone else? So they doubted God. Mm. 
You know, what's br- I think uh, what's brilliant about that story is there's a, it's room, Genesis 3 especially, is like open for a variety of interpretations, right? Um, so, yeah, I think in some sense, uh, the sin of Adam and Eve, uh, I would say something like this, I guess. The sin of Adam and Eve wasn't that they were trying to be like God, because humans were made in God's image and were enabled in the very beginning to be like him, right? The sin of Adam and Eve was this misappropriation, this mis, uh, misapplied understanding of what it meant to be God-like. And so, uh, and because of that misapplied understanding, uh, we became corrupted. Sin enters the world. Now, here's the thing about sin in this interpretation of the story. Sin is not a separate entity where you have good that brings everything to existence, but also you had evil, you know, over here hanging out, waiting to come into the picture, right? No, in this sense, sin is the misappropriation or the uh, mutation of the good. You know, someone, the ancient philosopher or theologian might say the privation of the good. This kind of, um, so, um, and so the sin of Adam and Eve was the misalignment of their will and desires that was naturally meant to be like God. But they took that desire and didn't know what to do with it, and they ate the apple. And they, now they're, you know, uh, have all this knowledge. Okay. So through this, our humanity was corrupted. Uh, the image of God that was in us, which still doesn't, which does not negate our intrinsic goodness, but there is something that was damaged in us, right? The image was damaged at that very moment. Uh, and, and because of that, we were separated from this kind of intimacy of the Creator. Uh, you know, one church father I read declares that the brokenness of the, of the fall, the actual corruption itself, uh, ended up resulting in a human beings' lack of discernment of and judgment of knowing what's good and wrong and evil, right? Which is ironic because guess what? Why did Eve get the apple in the first place? Because she wanted knowledge of good and evil. And yet now it's kind of like everything's fuzzy now that they know all these things. They can't really determine. They don't have that quality to really say, okay, here's how I know what I'm about to do is wrong. Um, for example, last time I was here, talked about Cain. Do you think Cain knew that what he was about to do to Abel was wrong? Yes and no. Yeah. Say more. <laughs> okay. Uh, are you talking about today? Is that today? Uh, next week. Next week. Sorry. Okay. I should mm-hmm. still take the <clears throat> Okay. So I, I think part of Adam and Eve's sin is that there exists in us the thought that we know what's best for us. Mm-hmm. We know how we would best thrive, you could say, which is what mm-hmm. I was talking about. So getting at how we lead a worthy life or how we lead our lead our best life mm-hmm. um, is important. Mm-hmm. And God has that plan for us, and we have our plan for that. So Adam and Eve had their kind of plan for that, mm. right? And so I think for Cain, it was um, both kind of reacting to he felt his offering was as good, and mm-hmm. so you know, that's to say 
well, God, you're wrong. Mom mm-hmm. was good. So then that jealousy produces this anger towards his brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I think there's some sort of justification inside of him when he attacks his brother. And there's also probably a thought of, as soon as it happens, well, I've gone too far. Mm-hmm. Which I think is with any sin, it's this, uh, you know, we, we owe this to ourselves to, to, to grab this or to take this. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But then we, we kind of realize, like this kid in the back of the car, mm-hmm. you feel guilt. And then you feel shame mm-hmm. when you recognize what it's done. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. eating him alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's good. Yeah, that's great. That was great. Um, you know, um, you know, we see this tragedy, this kind of corruption, where God's kind of had to separate from himself. But he hasn't. You know, the whole story of the Old Testament is God hasn't for, hasn't given up on us, right? If you could summarize the story of the Old Testament that way. And, uh, you know, throughout the course of human history, uh, you see in the Hebrew story and in our history itself, time after time again, death, corruption, and self-sabotage of ourselves or others. Uh, I was looking at Eric because one time Eric called me out on when I self-sabotaged myself. And I didn't even realize it at the time, right? We, we all, you know, we end up hurting ourselves when we don't even realize we're doing it, right? And so Nietzsche said, well, I'm waiting for some good news here because you just bummed me out even more. You know, <laughs> like, he's just, uh, and my coffee is gone, so we'll need another cup. So it seems like everything you've told me kind of confirms a little bit of what I've been saying about the lies of Christianity. And so maybe after he would say something, I don't know if this is what he would really say. I'm not a Nietzsche scholar, but this was helpful for how I wrote this lesson. But, <laughs> uh you know, we would get real passionate maybe and say, well, hold up a second, that's not the end of the story, right? We would say that the end of the story, story um, is Jesus Christ. That our good news that we have is not just things that we say. It's not necessarily even the belief that we believe. It's rather who's behind the belief, right? It's Jesus. Um, you know, we, you see in the person of Jesus Christ, through the story of the Gospels, we learn about this guy, this man who is both fully human and fully divine. And there are, uh, we can talk about how that is possible um, for hours and hours, and that is a praiseworthy endeavor, but that's not the point for this conversation. This conversation, uh, what we really need to focus on is what God is saying to human beings by virtue of his becoming flesh. Does that make sense? The very fact that God came and became human, took on createdness, is an affirmation of our humanity, an affirmation of our bodies, an affirmation of the intrinsic goodness that he created us with from the very beginning. Um, God's act of becoming flesh uh, doesn't mean that he's no longer God. He's both and. That's the mystery, the both andness of him. It affirms our humanity and it affirms uh, our dignity. dignity, And it affirms the created order, right? Um, the world. Uh, in Jesus Christ, we learn, what we learn is that he not only... It's this uncreated creator who is the epitome of everything good, but who, uh, as we learn through the life and teachings of Christ, that he's also creator and redeemer. What Jesus does throughout his earthly ministry is connect 
this his his uh, title as creator and redeemer, and he makes a connection between redemption and creation. You know, uh, we learned that Jesus is this agent of renewal, of restoration for the damaged image of God in us. Christ took what he created and renewed through his life, death, and resurrection. He, re- he enabled us this uh, possibility where we could share in the divine nature, right? Because we have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit who indwells in each and every one of you. And so, in other words, in the person of Jesus Christ, we learn what it means to be fully human, Right, Christian. So Nietzsche, Christianity isn't anti-human. Christianity uh, has been always uh, pro-human. Right? Uh, it promotes humanity. It doesn't degrade it. You know, another way of saying is that God became human in order that humans might become like God. You know, Jesus taught us not only how to die but taught, taught us how to live, how life was originally meant to be. This is what it was supposed to be from the very beginning. That's what the whole Sermon on the Mount is about, right? You've heard that it was said, but now I tell you this is how you should live, right? Uh, um, you know, for some of you, this might sound new, Right, uh, this idea that God became human in order that we might become gods or like gods. Uh, but remember that distinction I made with Adam and Eve, right? This distinction that God made humans in his image in order for them to be like him. And there's this misappropriation, this misapplied understanding of what that is. And it damaged us, it corrupted the image of God in us, and therefore we needed this Savior, this Redeemer who made us. Um, the incarnation, the life and teachings of Jesus Christ can be understood as this roadmap to the, to the restoration of God's image in us. Uh, by taking on flesh, Christ not only affirms the goodness of our existence, but also through the power of his divine grace, through the indwelling spirit, we are empowered to live the kinds of lives we were meant to live. You see, one of the key central things about the Christian life that we live is tr- is trying to train our desires, these feelings we have, uh, and this is just and it, and what we are learning. If you haven't learned by now, training our desires is a lifelong commitment, right? It is, uh, and so we we're in this for the long haul, you know. Uh, and there, um, and we're gonna till the day till until we're on our deathbed. We're going to be trying to figure out. We're going to get a little closer or maybe a little further away from alignment with God's desire. So in Jesus Christ, the Word assumed a human body in order to rescue humanity from a path of self-destruction or self-sabotage and to enable it to fulfill its divinely intended purpose. The incarnation... Jesus Christ reveals God's attempt to liberate humanity from the power of sin and death, and more importantly, the renewal of God's image in us, the image which confers upon us dignity and honor. Uh, The uncreated creator took on a body in order to educate us, uh, human beings, on our proper end or purpose. And the proper end or the main purpose of our own lives is to uh, reflect God's divine nature by living just like him.
So uh, in short, I think, let's see what time is it? Yeah, I got about. In short, the incarnation reveals God's attempt to renew human beings from their tendency to self-destruct and self-sabotage. It is God's antidote. Christ is the antidote to our corruption. You know, Christianity is not anti-human nor anti-passion, uh, but it teaches us how we should handle those passions in our humanity in a way that keeps us fixated on God. And so the good news of Christianity is that the person of Jesus Christ shows us how to not only die, but educates us, teaches us how to live. As Paul says again, as I quoted him earlier, we have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit, and through this access we are sharers in his divine nature. Shares in, uh, in salvation, in our salvation, and that sounds like good news to me. So, uh, any thoughts or questions before we end? Or my part, I haven't, is Kevin here yet? I don't, know if Kevin I don't think, here. I don't think he is. Maybe we'll wrap up before he gets here, because it's late. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He may show up. Cool. Anything? Any with questions? Nothing? All right, thanks. It's really good. It's not like I was being rude about Kevin. I, nope. mean, I, mean, I never do mean to be rude.